So Jackson started peeing standing up. Yay. I don't know if this is a yay. Why not? Because dicks are gross. That's true. Like he, oh. So now he stands up, he picks the lid up and then he holds it, which is like the weirdest thing for these small little hands to hold this big dick. (laughs) Right. And then he pees and then he like shakes it to get the other off. But then. And then he's done. But I'm like, there's pee now, like everywhere. And it's just, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I think that's how men do it in general too. Well, I didn't teach him to shake it. Like I was trying to really be okay with him being the man that just sat down and peed. Oh, I know. Because it's so much cleaner. Like it's so much yeah, cleaner. Yeah, but his his penis would probably hit the toilet seat when he became an adult. Like the toilet water. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> And I don't know who taught him how to shake it. I'm sure Chris like taught he, him. No, I don't think he did. Maybe he saw the other boys at school do it. Yeah, but he legitly like holds it, it like in gorgeous. So it pees it like pees. And then he shook it. Like it's just gross. Maybe it's natural. I think I just like it because when I sit him down, I don't see it. Yeah. It's all good. He pees like me. <laughs> We're all Ugh. done. Like the penises are gross. They are. I... I don't know what my son's looks like anymore. I just remember thinking it was really small and not being certain if that that's how it's supposed to look. But now you're kind of like thinking he is just smaller. I, I mean, he hasn't complained about it, so I guess he's fine. Interesting. He's fine. I wonder if Chris, not Chris, I wonder if Jackson's going to like one day be like, mm, I got a big dick. Like, I think, I wonder if he's ever going to notice that his is like, not no, normal. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. Because we're at the age now where I'm just, we can't shower. Like he usually just gets in the shower with me, which makes me feel safer because now I can shower whenever, right? Yeah. I can just put him in the shower. He plays and whatever. But now he's at that weird, awkward like height. Yeah. And he's curious. And I'm just like, this is awkward and gross. And I don't want yeah. to do this anymore. So now I have to wait till Chris gets home in order to shower because the girls won't watch him. They'll yeah. let him go out and run in the street. So that's sad, but I'm good. I'm okay with that. He's just, it's just, yeah. Like, I don't think you're ever going to see your son's dick again. No, I'm not. (laughs) And I'm okay with that. Why do we always end up talking about our son's penises? I think they're very curious. I mean, I don't want to see my girl's privates either. Let me just put that out there. Uh, But, you know. (laughs) Let me just put that out there. Just in case anyone was listening. I'm not interested in seeing any of my children's privates anymore. I feel like they've gone through puberty and that's their, that's their jam. Now, Anna still gets rashes, but she now knows how to describe what's going on so I can buy her the appropriate cream to really? help the rash. They don't wipe well. They yeah. don't. And it's, I've, you know, uh, I'm a bad person. I've kind of given up. Well, there's only so much you can do. I, I mean, mean, I've tried. I used to wipe her when she first moved in. She was, you know, six. Yeah. And I was like, that still seems appropriate. And I used to bathe her because she didn't know how. The other two... I would kind of show them in the bath, like in the, not in the bathtub, in the pool. Like that's how you bathe. But they're not bathing well. They don't brush their teeth well. I just, I'm going to wait for them to have a, a partner who's going to call them out on how gross they are. And that, that'll maybe, that shame will do it. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know. Yeah. Like Lexi, are we, she has like skipped washing her neck. Oh. And so she had all this crust on it. And I was like, what is happening yeah. to you? I was like, you need to wash your neck. I do. Do you? 
Do you yeah. really like every the loofah needs to be put everywhere so that the soap is everywhere? Yeah. And that's how you know, oh, there's bubbles everywhere and now I may rinse. Yeah. So Yeah. If you ever look behind your kids' ears, it's a nightmare. Uh, gross. Yeah. Oh. Kids are gross. Yeah, they are. Super gross. You're listening to the Mother Effin Podcast with Patty Crouch and Heather Dragulescu. So this kind of is an all about you episode, Patty. Okay. I like talking about me. I'm a good person. Because I have questions. What are your questions? No, I did not fold my underwear. <laughs> I have started washing my feet every other bath because I am thinking maybe I should. <laughs> um, I still don't brush my teeth at night. I mean, you know a lot about me. Like, what else do you want to know? Well, I want to talk about something we've touched on before that I think a lot of people have experienced and ended up adopting because of it. I want to talk about your infertility. Let's do it. I'm infertile. My uterus does not work. It's actually an unexplained infertility, so there's really not a reason why. So there was nothing in indicating it growing up? No, not at all. Like, I've always been somewhat regular. Mm-hmm. My sister actually was the one that was completely irregular, and she had two kids. I've, I, At least I thought I was or whatever. Nothing out of the usual or anything happened. And then Chris and I started trying to have kids, and it wasn't happening. Oh, just a tip. Kaiser. If you're not taking, if you're not using any kind of birth control, including condoms, you are actively trying to have a kid, (laughs) which is somewhat true because you're not doing anything. Yeah. So we went in, I went in to get checked and everything. And I had, according to Kaiser, been actively trying since I hadn't been using birth control or anything. And it had been a year. So they did some tests and they were like, everything looks fine. Like nothing out of the ordinary ever jumped out. It's just that we have been trying for so long that nothing, like, we, by the time the infertility stuff was done, we had had 19 no's. Oof. Yeah, and they were all brutal. Like, they just get so hopeful. You live for two weeks thinking, like, oh, there could be a baby inside of me. Like, this could be happening. Could This could be the month. Mm-hmm. And then it's, like, just joking. And then God's just cruel. Like, he does it at the most emotional time of the month. <laughs> like, your uterus wall is ripping. Your hormones are all out of place. Like, it's just... Not the funnest time at all. Did they ever give you any indication? So Chris went to get checked because we were like, okay, let's see what happened with him. And he had like low count and stuff. Mm -hmm. But they told him, just don't use your laptop on your lap. (laughs) And don't wear like uh, tidy whities all the time. Like let things breathe and like circulate and stuff. So he did the few things that they suggested. And then his numbers went right up. Like he was fine. Mm. His mobility has always been fine. His numbers already been fine. Like. After that first test, he, like, now only works on, you know, a table instead of using his laptop on his lap. And The why? You're not trying to have kids. Yeah. Now I'm like, can you put the laptop back on? (laughs) I'm just going to make sure those things aren't working. That's my fear. My fear is that I'm going to get pregnant because it's unexplained that I'm going to get pregnant when I'm, like, I'll take that punch in the face. (laughs) Oh, geez, I will punch you in the face. I will be crying. And I'll be happy. I'll get myself to be happy because every blessing is a blessing from God. Yes. Yes, it is. Every child is a blessing from God. So. I'll be happy if it happens, but it will definitely be a journey to get there. What were you doing in terms of like when you found out you had the infertility? Were you doing like the fertility diet? Were you doing the different uh, tracking, you know, like your hormones? Were you so doing any of those stuff? So there's this book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Oh, I have that book. Yeah, I never did it. Oh. <laughs> I actually wanted to punch people in the face when they're like, you should try this. And I'm just like, by the time I learned about it, I was already in doctors and going, yeah. if they can't figure this out, I don't think a book is going to figure it out. Yeah. 
I just basically was tracking and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was tracking and then I was doing like the folic acid and being on prenatals and yeah. like doing that kind of stuff. Um, I wasn't super crazy, but at that time we were kind of super crazy health nuts. Yeah. So I knew that everything was going well there. Yeah. So it was a shock when they had no clue. Mm. Like I remember. So by the time we got to the point of it, like trying infertility stuff and I took Clomid and that first month I was like, this is going to happen because I, my body produced so many eggs they all looked really good. Yeah. I gave myself the shot when they told me to get Ugh. the shot. Like everything yeah. worked like clockwork. And it was, and the doctors were happy. Everything was great. And I was like, this is going to happen. If it's not going to happen this cycle, it's going to happen in a couple other cycles, you know? Because it's really, when you think about it, it's pretty amazing how much has to line up yeah. for you to get pregnant. Yeah. Like, not only does the egg and the sperm need to meet, but it has to have an environment of hormones to be able to travel and be able to attach and like grow. Like so many things have to go right that if one little thing goes wrong, your body will just not done. You know, so yeah. even if it attaches and things start to get a little bit weird for your body, like it notices an abnormality, mm-hmm. it'll like naturally abort yeah. your the egg and like terminate or whatever, like on its own. Like it, your body is amazing. So it's phenomenal how much I said. And I understood that. So I was like, okay, it may not happen the first round. But that first round, I was like, and then I was like, this is how I'm going to get my twins. Like, I've mm-hmm. always wanted twins. Like, this yeah. is how I'm going to get it because the Clomid, you know, increases mm-hmm. your chances. And that first one, we probably had like seven or eight follicles. Like, wow, it was going to be amazing. And then it didn't happen. And we're like, okay, that's fine. $3,000 later. <laughs> oh, that's fine. And that's what our insurance covered, like, half yeah. of it. Like, I, six grand just to do... The cheapest form, which is Clomid, which is a pill you take, yeah. and one hormone shot. And then pedestrian, oh, those things are gross. Mm. Pedestrian enemas, basically. Oh. Like, you put that up your vagina, and you're like, gives it more of the stuff yeah. to keep it or whatever. Gross and nasty. That's all I got to say. Mm. Gross and nasty. So that first cycle, I thought, this is it. Like, we're going to do it. And it didn't work, and I was like, that's fine. So we did it again, and that was in October. And so we did it again in November. And the complete opposite happened. My body didn't even produce one egg. Wow. Actually, no, it produced, it produced one and that was it. And there was a possible like one or two that could possibly get to the size, but it was like complete opposite. Wow. And I remember the nurse just going, that's weird. Like that shouldn't happen. Like your body responded really well the first time. And then you had to go in and do all these like, blood draws so they mm-hmm. can take hormone checks so that they can tell you whether or not like when you're ovulating like all this stuff right it's all science and that yeah it's been a while so i'm sorry if i'm butchering like exactly the process because it's been a while but i remember going in and they're like your hormone should not be at this level at this time like your hormone should have been at this level like either a week later or a week like it was always off like my yeah. hormones were always Never where they were supposed to be mm-hmm. when they were supposed to be there. Oh. So it was kind of strange. So then that that one, we like ended up scrapping completely. No, we ended up doing the injection because there was one. And then the third one, my body produced nothing. Wow. So I'm on this drug that's supposed to produce extra yeah. eggs. And I'm taking, I'm getting checked with the vagina wand, like the yeah. dick wand, right? I do have a joke about that, about how... <laughs> It's always awkward, and I'm like, don't worry, my husband's bigger. Because <laughs> it's not fun. Like, and they, 
shove this wand and they go up to the left and up to the right. Like, it's not yeah. pleasant. I mean, they lube it well, so at least it doesn't hurt. Anyways, TMI. Anyways, <laughs> um, so the second one, or the third round, like, my body didn't do anything. Wow. Like, and I'm on this drugs that's supposed to overstimulate. Like, it was crushing. Yeah. Because now I've already gotten, like, I think at that point, 13 no's, and then mm-hmm. we're doing things to help it. So I'm already getting, so I've got another two no's. And I'm like, I'm supposed to, I'm trying to help my body do what it's supposed yeah. to do. And it doesn't, like, does nothing. So then that, that was crushing. So then we did it, we changed to a different medicine. Um, and that one, like, it produced a little bit, but not what they thought it was going to be. And then the third one, the last one, which is our fifth round that we did. So we basically just did infertility drugs and then had his guys cleaned up and then shot up where they needed to be. Yeah. Insemination, right? That's all we did. So the last round, it was this horrible, like, Chris walked in and, like, things at work were, like, starting to hit the fan right as he was walking in. Mm. And he's supposed to do his business in a cup. Yeah. It was just not fun. And I just remember, like, going, like, we were waiting for the doctor. And he basically was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm done. He's like, I I can't do it. And we had made an agreement that if any one of us wanted to stop, that we weren't going to push them, that we were just going to stop because it's not fair. Yeah. For the other, you know. To, to them to, like, keep wanting. So we, like, okay. So we finished that round because we were doing the insemination and that didn't work. And I was, like, I guess this is it. Yeah. Like, we're not going to have a biological child because we both talking it through or, like, we can't go into the next round mm-hmm. and glorify God in it. Like, it was becoming this idol. It was becoming so much more than it was intended to be. Yeah. And we always wanted to adopt. We always thought we were going to have two biological kids and then adopt a third. So we kind of were, like, okay, I guess this is it. And it was like literally, we're done kind of thing. Did you have a moment though when he said, I can't do this anymore, where you're like, don't say that in your head or just maybe he's just saying that right now, but he'll feel differently tomorrow? I probably did when I was mourning through it all. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, like if you saw Chris's face, Mm -hmm. And you saw the look of, like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like, Chris doesn't cry. Yeah. And he was getting, like, teary-eyed going, I can't do this. Yeah. And when your strong husband, who's, like, a black belt, yeah, is like, I can't emotionally handle this anymore. I mean, I love him too much to push him yeah. through it. So I think probably in an instant it was, like, not then, but probably, like, well, we could, not necessarily pointed at him, but there probably were moments there are moments when I'm like, not anymore because I have three kids that are crazy. But beforehand where I was like, maybe we didn't try hard enough. Like maybe there was something else we could have done. Like maybe this, maybe that. And beforehand, we'd kind of drawn the line at IVF. Yeah. Like we knew we weren't going to cross that line just for our, I'm not against IVF. I think beautiful children are created through IVF. And science is phenomenal. And God created the the human brains to create science like mm-hmm. i'm not opposed to ivf just for our family it was a bit too much yeah for us it wasn't something we were comfortable with and wanting to do mm-hmm. um and i think everyone should just process through yeah where their line is before they even try to start having babies yeah maybe it'll never come up you know and that's what we did like it came up in conversation because some friends of a friends were doing ivf and we're like how do we feel about that and we talked about it and then we actually prayed about it and we kind of drew a line of like this is where we'd stop yeah. kind of thing and we had the finance conversation too like how much 
money is worth spending to have a biological child. Like yeah. people go into debt and people do all this stuff. And it's kind of like, is that good steward stewardmanship? Is that good use of your money? Like where, mm-hmm. like kids are worth it. Like yeah. my kids are worth it. But is it worth having four thousand dollars, four hundred thousand dollars in debt? Like what? Yeah. Where is that line? We didn't really have a line per se, but we talked about how we weren't going to go into debt yeah. for it, kind of thing. But yeah, I, so we had that line drawn, which made it a lot easier mm-hmm. because then we knew we had exhausted our means, gotcha. kind of thing. But people come up to me and like, well, you, you should try this fertility clinic or that, and I'm like, I'm over that. Like, yeah. I was put into Kaiser at that moment, and that was what needed to be, and that was what I was going to pay for it. Yeah. You know, like, it is what it is. So I don't have that anymore. I don't have the thought of we should have tried more. But in the beginning, especially waiting for kids, it kind of was like, maybe we should have, maybe we quit too soon. Especially because I hear people who, like, try for five years, eight years, and I'm like, I I couldn't handle 19 no's. Yeah. Like, 19 no's was enough for me. Mm -hmm. And Chris was amazing at it. Like, we would get the no. I remember doing one of them, and I peed on the stick, and I went to work. Mm-hmm. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to go to work if I knew it was a no. So I yeah. just hopefully thought for, like, the day. And yeah. he looked into it right away and knew it was a no. And so, crying, of course. <laughs> of course. So on their way to our, the, we lived in the back house, and on the way he had all these signs. It's like, it's drink another cider day. It's the, oh. like, we can smoke. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. I'm not a smoker. But every time I got a no, we would drink and smoke hookah. <laughs> it was our go-to date because I'm like, well, if this body ain't going to be treated right, then we don't need to, yeah. you know. And then the next two days I would, you know, eat the organic strawberries again. But for two days I lived it up because I was like, well, I'm not raising it. I'm not, yeah, you know, not birthing heaven. I'm not creating a child so I can do whatever I want. How long was your grieving process when you realized it was not going to happen? That's a hard question. I cried hysterically for three days. Mm. Like three days, I was a hot mess. Yeah. Did it, Chris, mean, ever in those three days see you and go, or maybe we'll try one more time or no? No, because it was, we were both. I was getting to that line. Mm-hmm. 19 knows is a lot for me. Like, I'm not that strong mm-hmm. to handle that because it's such an emotion roller coaster. Yeah. You get so excited for two weeks that this could be happening and you're so excited that yes, this could be the time. Positive thinking and put it into the universe, whatever. Yeah. You know, like all this stuff. So you're on cloud like 7 at yeah. least <laughs> for like two weeks and then an instant you're on cloud negative 4. Yeah. So it was just too hard to go up and down, up and down, up and down. Like I was done. Yeah. I was really like I was getting close to being done. So I think because I was close it was like Okay. Um, so I, I cried for, and I knew we wanted to adopt. So I knew what the next step was going to be. Yeah. So I think that also helped me is like kind of having a plan of, I can mourn the fact that there's not going to be this ugly little child <laughs> made from Chris and I. Oh. You know, well, I used to tease it and be like big ears and a big nose and look like an African elephant, you know, like <laughs> I can mourn that. I can mourn that Chris's bloodline kind of is stopping. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. You know, like I mourned. All these little things. Yeah. Like, I'm worried not being pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the mourning, pro- I think the grieving process. So it was three days of intense grief. Yeah. Like, intense. Like, a, it was a loss. It was a loss of a dream that I had. It was a loss of a child I thought we were going to conceive. Like, it was a loss. And a legit loss. And people, I, that's why I don't think people realize with infertility sometimes is that they don't see it as a loss. But it's like, you have this child that you thought you were going to create and you don't you get the opportunity, yeah. you know? 
So there's a loss there. But then it's also a continuous grief. Mm-hmm. Like, I've already been warned that when my child, my if Lexi and Zandy decide to give birth, that there'll be another grief there because I'm not going to be able to help them through their pregnancies. Or, yeah. You know, or being like being jealous of your child who's able to do something that yeah. your body can't kind of thing. And for a while, at one point, there was 18 people in my life that were either pregnant or just had a baby. Ugh. I was just like, really? Yeah. Even the book I was reading had someone. And I was like, <laughs> forget this. I threw that book away. And then I read it later because it was a good book. Mm-hmm. But after I had healed. So, yeah, I think the grieving, like, I remember going to my first baby shower afterwards and yeah. going, this sucks. Yeah. Because all these people are, like, giving advice. Mm-hmm. And I can't give any advice, you know? Yeah. And then even when I had the baby, I had the twins and I went to baby showers, it was hard mm-hmm. because it's like none of you guys, you're talking about pregnancy and talking about labor. And I don't have that. And yeah. some of these people are like, don't, I don't think they consciously thought yeah. of me not as a mother. Like, I don't think they would ever say that to me or like yeah. think that. But in a weird sense, they're all having the shared experience that I don't have. Yeah. And so it's hard to, like, sit there and listen to it all. Now I'm, like, I make a joke about it because, you know, my defense as well. Like, yeah. meh, got away from that curse. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's also, I think, one of the reasons that when you and I met, when you meet another adoptive mom, you suddenly go through that baby shower shared experience where you're like, oh, my God, remember the first time that they, like, oh, yeah. uh, caused a fit in a store and you thought people were going to think you were stealing them? <laughs> remember, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, it's a... All of a sudden, you get this weird shared experience of oh, foster yeah. adopt moms. Completely. And it's it's funny because I just met someone at Disneyland. And I was just like, we talked about some of the probably things that I would never mm-hmm. really say to a stranger because why would it come up? But we were yeah. talking about sensory needs and, like, biological parents. And yeah. There's no name for it. I'm like, all these things that, like, we would never have talked about prior because, I mean, we're just standing in a line mm-hmm. waiting for Soaring Over the World, California, whatever, that <laughs> new, whatever the new title is. Yeah, so I think the grief happens in spurts here and there. And and I think the time lapses between when mm-hmm. you feel s- sad again. Like, yeah. I haven't felt sad in a while, but I'm also super busy yeah, and super crazy. But then, you know, it does come up because I wouldn't have drank during my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had pre- I did the prenatals three months prior to trying because yeah. that's what you're supposed to do to get your little uterus ready. You know, so, like, I wouldn't have drank. I, w- yeah. I wouldn't have done these things. So I sit there going, this Jackson wouldn't have the issues he had. If I had been his biological mother. Yeah. So there's moments like that that come up. Yeah. So you know that Bobby and I are thinking about trying this year because we've never tried. See, that's um, interesting to me. Um, we always, well, not we, I, I always said we're going to adopt first. So I, I also have endometriosis and polycystic ovary syndrome. So there are probably going to be some challenges and I may not conceive. And Bobby and I, are not going to do any grandiose efforts. We're not going to do IVF. That line already? Yeah, it's it's if it's natural and it happens, it happens. And there's also a stopping point of when I hit forty. Mm. Of just we tried and that was it. But I'm like, I just want to try and see what happens. Yeah, you're already geriatric pregnancy. Yeah, after over thirty five. Yeah, so we have our line, and we already have our kids. So it's not the worst thing in the world to say this is where we're going to put the line. But how do you think you would react if it did happen and I got pregnant? Now? Mm-hmm. Totally fine. Okay. I think you're crazy, actually. <laughs> Just checking. I would be fine. Yeah. Because there, that desire, this the desire to be a mother 
outweighed the desire to be a biological gotcha pregnancy yeah. birth stuff. Will there be moments I won't I will tell you because we're honest like that. Yeah. Will there be moments where I go, oh, she's experiencing something that I never got to experience? Mm-hmm. Probably. You know, I still get kind of sad that I can't, I can never breastfeed. Yeah. And then there's also tons of biological families who, can't, who I, couldn't yeah. do it either. So, it's, I mean, mine, who has may have never worked. Mm-hmm. Who has the other thing? Chi Chi's. <laughs> <laughs> well, my hoo ha doesn't work either, but still. <laughs> um, so, there'll be moments probably where I, yeah. there's a little thing of like, ah. Oh. But there's also, this is what I realized too, and I don't think people talk about this. A stranger being pregnant is harder to handle than your best friend being pregnant. Really? Holly told me she was pregnant. And she told me by, and she was very respectful. She told me by myself with me and Kendra, who's our other best friend, right? Um, because she didn't, she told me first so that I could handle it the way I needed to handle it. Mm-hmm. Like she was completely respectful. My happiness for her outweighed my sadness. Mm-hmm. So when it's like that, it's so much easier to handle. Gotcha. Because the happiness for her, I was super excited that she was having her first child and like all this stuff. And I was going to be able to be, a, you know, mm-hmm. with her or whatever. I mean, I couldn't, I told her, I was like, I'm useless. Once you get nine months, then I'm help you, <laughs> you know? Um, so it was easier. Gotcha. But then there'd be like a coworker mm-hmm. who I didn't really know, but I see every single day get bigger and bigger. And I'd be like, fuck you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because it's like, that's when it hurts because my sadness yeah. was greater than my happiness for her. Yeah. You know? So it really depends on. So my happiness for you would probably be so much greater than, than my sadness, especially now, you know, eight years later where I've healed a lot. I've gone through a lot. And then honestly, helping other people with infertility, like being able to walk with other people mm-hmm. is also been huge. Yeah. My coworker, Louie, his wife and him were doing the same thing we were doing. Mm-hmm. And just that camaraderie of us being able to support each other was huge because yeah. I would just send her notes home because I knew how hard it was and I yeah. knew what was going on. And I, and since then, it's like I've helped a couple people just handle some of the emotions. or And so that makes it a little bit more worth it in a weird yeah. way, if that makes sense. So it was great to have a com- yeah. you know, it's like every, I feel like every struggle in mm-hmm. life, like when you have a community that you can go through it with or help people through it or someone who's gone through it can like walk you through it, like. Just doing it together makes a world of difference. And same yeah. with adoption and fostering. Like, I had a solid set of foster families that we were doing this together. And that was also hard. All of them adopted before my kids, and I got the hmm. kids before them. The, this, our case was so long that people were adopting. <laughs> and I was like, what about me? <laughs> but my social worker was amazing and was like, are you doing okay? I know it's hard when you yeah. go to these friends' adoptions and yours is still pending. And I was like, yeah, it is hard. It was mm-hmm. nice. So... I wonder sometimes about uh, how I'm going to feel if I get that no. If it's going to, you know, intellectually right now, I'm like, it's fine. I have my three kids. It's okay. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'll get it's, a dog, you know. <laughs> so, a dog? Yeah. Well, then we'll Three cats. Big, I do, but I want a dog too. Big dog. So I just kind of wonder, am I going to have some emotional. And I feel like you probably will. You know. Honestly, you probably will mm-hmm. because despite the fact that you have three kids, despite the fact that you're okay with their life the way it is right now, your body was created to do something. Yeah. And when it can't, it just hurts. It's, it just hurts. I just wish, I wish people would acknowledge the hurt, move past it, not necessarily past it, like it never, it's a new normal. 
honestly. Mm-hmm. It's a loss. And all losses are just new normals. Yeah. But I wish that foster care could be a first choice mm-hmm. rather than the second or third or yeah. fourth sometimes. Because in the end, people who are trying to have a kid are really just trying to be parents. Yeah. And I got all of that emotion. I've been called mama. I've had three o'clock feedings. I've had all the emotions that I wanted mm-hmm. and some that I didn't by fostering, you know? Because when you become a mom, you become a mom. Yeah. You know? Like, and I, I wish people would listen to that a little bit more. But will you be sad? Probably. Probably. And will you be okay afterwards? Probably. I think what I'm already preemptively getting upset about is I really had no desire to have a baby for a long time. Ooh. That's why we adopted. They come out as babies. They don't come well, out as seven-year-olds. No, I know. That's that's the thing. That's why we wanted to adopt older kids because I did not want a baby. I wanted like a three-year-old, a toddler. But I did not want babies. It was not in my interest at all. And it was really a little bit after we adopted these three that the baby urges started. Well, you realize how much you miss and how much control Probably. you can have in the beginning, too. Yeah, I think that's you the know? big thing, control. I've <laughs> had two newborns. Mm-hmm. The girls came to me at nine months, which was perfect. Yeah. They had little personalities. They had little personalities. <laughs> it was great. Um, and it was it was awesome. And two, it was nice because I kind of, with twins, mm-hmm. the first, like, three months are, like, the hardest. Yeah. So I kind of skipped the hardest part about <laughs> twinhood. Six weeks after they came to us, I started holding their own bottles. That's like a game changer. So it was great. But having two newborns after that, there's something about the comfort of knowing that you're beginning them right. Yeah. You know, like something about knowing that you have control over little things. Like you can Mm -hmm. give them love from this get-go kind of stuff. So... I now I never really I never liked infants either. I would hold them for like three minutes and be like, "You're boring and don't do anything." <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see you with a newborn, though. Yeah, I held my friends for about an hour at dinner the other night. Uh, I went to dinner with a bunch of ladies that I haven't seen in a while, and two of them have newborns, newish borns. One's three months, one's five weeks. Five week old was not letting go of her mama. She was mm-hmm. like, "I'm here. That's it." But the other one was like passed around the table. We all kind of took her for a bit. And it was interesting. It was the first time I felt more comfortable with a baby in my arms than ever before. Because you're ready. Yeah, maybe. Because before I would hold babies, I'm like, somebody take this from me. Well, there's something. And even with Jackson still being somewhat young, just there's something about the little baby head sleeping on your little chest. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, I... He still has a little baby head. That's why I'm like, oh, I love your little baby head, even though you have no brain. Well, he has a brain. It's a small. I don't know. There's just like, I'm now a baby person knowing that I'm never going to do it again. Because I'm like, oh, I can enjoy it for like that hour and then be done. I don't know. There's, you have, I I, I talk about having control or whatever, but it's really in control and the love that you can give. Yeah. It's not in control of like your timetable and stuff. So I'm I'm curious how you're going to respond to that wanting to be in control when an infant is going to completely take over your life. Because when you got your kids, you could set. Yeah. A legitimate schedule. You were told to. We were like, they thrive under schedule. Put a schedule up. And we had to for like feeding them so they knew when they were going to get food. So it was really easy to be my type A yeah. personality. Infants are not yeah. great for type A personalities. <laughs> Just letting you know. That's why Bobby's going to do the work. 
Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, something happened the other day that struck me so oddly difficult was I was talking to Anna and she was saying how she never wanted to have a baby. She was going to adopt, like I did, older kids from the start. Really? And it was the weirdest pang of, you're not going to give me a baby? <laughs> like, like, I don't know why that was so hurtful, but I'm like, you're not going to give me a grandchild from a baby? And in that moment, I, like, had a realization with my mom. I had a realization with all this other stuff about what a baby can represent to a family. And I was like, sure, do whatever you want. But inside, I felt for the first time this little bit of, you're not going to have a baby. You're not going to get a baby. Like, I don't even need her to have one. Like, you're not going to bring a baby into this house. I've never thought of that. So it was like, a weird, yeah, emotional, like. Well, it was, it was interesting because when we got the girls, it was the first time that my mom and my sister came out mm. since our wedding. Yeah. And that meant a lot to me that they mm. were coming to help out with the kids, you know? Yeah. And there is this expectations of these things of what a baby represents. Yeah. Like I mean, that's that was like the last sadness I had about the infertility stuff was I was in the waiting room with one of my friends who was having the twins. Mm-hmm. Right. She, we were waiting for her and you know, all the grandparents were there and me mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just thought I like, there's no one like, there was no one in the waiting room for the girls. Yeah. Like, yeah. hello, we had a traffic in the 405. Like, yeah. we went to the waiting room to, to yeah. pick them up. Like, and I missed that. I missed yeah. the idea of people waiting for this life to come in. Yeah. Because, I mean, we, and we definitely, we got a call and yeah. we called people, but it wasn't the same. I remember hearing stories that for some reason just seemed so magical to me when I went to the adoption, you know, seminars about like, oh, we had our house set up for kids and then suddenly we got a call for a baby and all of our, you know, friends who were going through this adoption rushed over with baby items and stocked our house and the baby arrived hours later. And I was like, oh, how wonderful. It's going to be this wonderful experience oh. and didn't even have that, you know. Uh, again, like you, like we got a call, we let people know. Uh, I had one friend who did throw us a I little want, party at work. but I wonder if the infertility no. had a difference in that. Because I feel like people were like, they walked through it with me. Mm-hmm. Like Holly and Kendra probably cried so many times with me mm-hmm. of it not happening. Yeah. That by the time we chose fostering, it was almost like, I guarantee you're going to have a, a baby <laughs> or a kid, you know? Like, you're yeah. going to be parents. But they gave me, and there were so many people in our church that were, having mm-hmm. biological kids and they were throwing baby showers left and right. Yeah. Um, actually, I guess that started happening once we got the kids. Anyways, baby showers are being thrown. Yeah. So I think they kind of were like, well, we should throw a baby shower. So they threw me a foster That's shower kind of thing. But I think because of the infertility, they saw me hurt so much yeah. that they were just ready for some happiness. Yeah. I actually talked about that with my, so my first comedy set mm-hmm. was all about infertility foster care and then adoption like that was my main set Mm -hmm. because that was what was real what stood out and you know yeah and I remember Ken going you're one of the first students that like dove deep quickly Mm. like most people are like I have a big nose and oh Mm -hmm. I'm Mexican like all these things and I was like well this is my life right now like this is what's happened so it was it made a really good set 
I think it sped up my growth a lot mm-hmm. in a comedian way. But the people that came to my first show were people who had sat there and watched me cry through the infertility, through the foster care, and through the adoption. (laughs) So it was like a change of pace to be able to laugh at all of this. And I remember thinking, like, this is cool that you get to support me in a fun way. (laughs) Not in the, I brought some cider over. Yeah. We're going to cry way, you know? Yeah. So what should people not say to people who have infertility? Breathe. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've been breathing this whole time and it hasn't happened. Yeah. it's You can't, when you want something this badly, no, nothing you say is going to be like, bring me down to calmness. Yeah. So that my body can get ready to do these things. Like, I'm thinking about it. And people who are trying to have kids are thinking about it. Like, after we had sex, I have always thought, I wonder if this is going to be it. Mm -hmm. You know? Now I don't think that. Now I'm like, <laughs> let's hurry up and get dressed before the kids walk in. Yeah. So, yeah, don't say breathe. Don't say it's going to happen after you adopt because that yeah. I want to punch people with that, too. <laughs> it's in the Kaiser pamphlet. That's how much people, like, believe really? that, like, uh, adoption does not increase your chances for, infert- for fertility. I it's believe like, it. What? I believe your hormones change. When, but that's another It'll story. It'll happen when it happens. No joke. Everything happens when it happens. That's not going to help me figure out how to handle this. Oh, and then people taking charge of your infertility. I was like, I'm already taking charge of it and I'm already in it. I'm also charging my card $3,000 for it. Okay. Like, it's just, yeah, this is why I, I think I learned them the most with infertility is that people say the stupidest things with the best intentions. Yeah. And so I was able to walk into foster care a little bit easier. Yeah. With people saying stupid things, because in the end, when someone's had a loss or someone's struggling, all they want to hear is that it sucks. Yeah. That's it. And if you're not in a relationship with them, that's all they're going to be able to handle with you. Yeah. There are very few people in my life, and, like, I'm talking four or five, mm-hmm. that after I say it sucks can guide me back to the cross, can mm-hmm. tell me I'm being a jerk, can you know, like, yeah. can call me out on my my crappiness. Yeah. But that's because we've had a relationship, and we know each other for years and years, and there's unconditional love underneath that relationship and yeah. friendship a stranger who i met at trader joe's why are you telling strangers at trader joe's that you're infertile <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe that was more adoption because i just radiate infertility i just radiate oh that person's barren and that's the other thing is people couldn't handle that i would call myself the baroness oh. i thought it was the funniest thing <laughs> so one of the ways that chris would tell me that i was not pregnant when he'd be like do you want another cider baroness? Oh. But it was funny to me. Yeah. Like, it was funny that my womb was barren. Like, it was just so, yeah. it, people, like, couldn't handle that. Like, guess the other thing, don't put your emotions on me. Yeah. Right? I will agree. Like, after I did my three days of, like, hysterical crying, I was ready to move on. I was mm-hmm. ready to be like, what's the next step? What paperwork do we need to do? We need to move out of this house. Like, what do we need to do? Like, I was ready yeah. to start looking forward. But people still wanted me to be backwards. Like, people still mm. wanted me to be sad. And I was sitting here going, I was sad. I will always be sad. I don't need you to be sad for me. And I don't need you to be sad, make me want to be sad. I don't need to be sad because you need me to be sad. Gotcha. You know, like, same with, like, any kind of loss. It's like, you just need to follow their lead. If they're already on the trekkery up, don't bring them down. Like, let them go at the pace that they want to go. And I process through it a lot quicker, I think, because 
honestly, because I was a really good prayer life at that moment. And I was really close to God at that moment. And we knew the line that was drawn. So there was emotions I could just release and know what the next step was. I already knew what the next step was, you know? So, yeah. So before you ever start planning your family, know your lines. I think that's a good lesson to learn today. Yeah, there's no... Yeah, know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. So when mm-hmm. you need to make that decision, it's not an emotional decision. Yeah. It's like a decision you've already made prior. So, and this, and don't tell, just say it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It Practice sucks. it, people. It sucks. Infertility sucks. Miscarriage sucks. You Divorce what, sucks. Losing a spouse sucks. Losing your mom sucks. Losing a grandmother who you know is 94 years old that's supposed to die sucks. Losing your keys suck. Like, lots of things in this world suck. So acknowledge the suckness. Be with people's suckiness, and then y'all can both move on. You know what else sucks? What? That we've come to the end of another episode. The Mother Effin Podcast is hosted and produced by Patty Crouch and Heather Dragulescu. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to visit us online at mothereffinpodcast.com.